There's a famous story told about Coach Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers. It was the fall of 1961, and the 38 players on the Packers team were gathered for the first training. Now, the previous year, they had suffered a heartbreaking loss in the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. And so all summer long, they had brooded about this brutal loss. And here they were, gathered again, ready for a new year. And they wanted to take it to the next level. They wanted to, to get into the details of how this year they were going to overcome. But Coach Lombardi had a different idea. He said, gentlemen, And he took a pigskin in his right hand and said, gentlemen, this is a football. He wasn't going to take anything for granted. And so he methodically went back to the beginning and started uh, with the most basic and essential and fundamental of things, that is, this is a football. And it followed through all that training camp. And so each player had to relearn what it means to block and what it means to tackle. And they went back to page one of the playbook and they worked through all of that. He wasn't going to let his players take anything for granted. They were going to become the very best at the fundamentals, the things that everyone else takes for granted. And so six months later, they beat the New York Giants 37-0 to zero to win the NFL championship. This, of course, is the classic story about how important the fundamentals are, the essentials, the basics. And nowhere, nowhere else are they more important than in our calling as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We have to understand the fundamentals, the essentials, the basics. Last Sunday, Pastor Bruce uh, preached about the parable of the talents. And to the servant who buried his talent, the master said, you are wicked wicked for doing nothing and he chided him he said you should have at least put the money in the bank and gained interest evidently this servant didn't understand the fundamentals the basics the essentials of investment don't put the money in the mattress at least put it in the bank where you can get interest we discovered last sunday that the greatest risk is not in investing, in being a disciple, but in doing nothing. And maybe one reason that believers do nothing is because they either don't remember or they never learn the fundamentals, the essentials, the basics. I don't want us to be those people, that wicked servant. In Acts 1, as the resurrected Jesus was about to ascend and return to the Father, his disciples asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They understood the sure thing. They understood the end goal. They were looking towards the kingdom of God, the eternal rule of Jesus Christ. They were right about that. But Jesus focused them on the fundamentals of what they were to do in the meantime, what they were to do now. And he says to them, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Invested is our theme for this sermon series, in fact, for our whole year. 
But in order to invest wisely and well, we have to understand the basics, the fundamentals, the essentials. That's what we're going to talk about today. Basics. We're going to ask three basic questions and give three fundamental essential answers. Here's the first question. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? Different people have different views of the mission of the church. In his book, Gaining by Losing, J.D. Greer talks about three different perspectives people have on the mission of the church, and he relates it to three different kinds of ships. Uh, Some people look at the church, and they view its mission kind of like a cruise ship, a cruise liner. And of course, there's, there's facilities, and there's sports, and there's entertainment, and all these kinds of things. But fundamentally, the question that is asked is this, how, how does this benefit my uh, religious well-being? How is it going to add to me in that way? Will it um, increase the quality of my religious life and experience? That's a cruise ship, right? It's kind of about me. And of course, it's, it's good to grow. In, and of course, you can think of things like, you know, MacArthur has a, has a uh, cruise and Charles Stanley. And these are all solid Bible teachers. It's good. It's good. Uh, but maybe it's not the primary mission or purpose of the church to be a cruise ship. Okay, what about the second ship? The second ship is a battleship. Uh, some people perceive uh, the mission of the church to be like a battleship which, of course, engages in war. And the the focus here is on paying uh, pastors to um, define the targets and then to blast them with big guns. And so uh, they come, and it's it's all focused on the worship service and the programs, and they sit back and watch as the, the pastors, you know, loudly and dramatically blast the enemy. That's a battleship. But maybe the best ship of all is the third ship, and that is an aircraft carrier. Now, an aircraft carrier also engages in the battle, recognizes that there is a war, but it engages in a different way. It, it equips planes to take the battle to where the enemy is. If we're going to prevail against the gates of hell, the church has to develop leaders and people to be able to go and to take the battle to the enemy. And so we need to be kind of a discipleship factory where we are developing leaders and sending them into the worldwide mission of Jesus Christ. Around here, we don't really use the term aircraft carrier so much. We say it this way, the church is a greenhouse for leadership development. We want to develop leaders who are equipped to go and engage the battle. So the central or primary mission of the church is not to influence the community for the better, provide a warm place of fellowship, sponsor excellent teaching, or even to survive. All those things are good, of course, but not the primary thing, not the central thing, not the most important thing. The church of God has a higher, more encompassing call. The mission of the church is to make disciples who 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 make disciples and that's why you're sitting here today the mission of the church is to make disciples here's how kevin DeYoung states it the mission of the church your church my church the church in appalachia the church in azerbaijan the church anywhere is to make disciples of jesus christ in the power of the spirit 
to the glory of God the Father. And of course, there we see the ultimate supreme purpose of every believer and church is to glorify God, to bring glory to the Father. But the Father has chosen to glorify himself by redeeming sinful men and women. And when we participate in his redemptive plan, then we are bringing glory to him. That brings us back to our mission, our mission to make disciples. Well, where do we get this? Well, we have a charge. We have a command. We have a commission to do this. So turn in your Bibles to some familiar territory. Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. It's page 1550 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Page 1550. Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And he has gone to an appointed place, a mountain in Galilee, to meet with his disciples. And we read this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our calling is a continuation, and extension of the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. Through his physical body on the cross, Jesus procured our salvation. And now, through his spiritual body, the church, you and I, he's proclaiming this salvation to the ends of the earth. But more than just proclaiming, it's the call to make disciples of every nation. And he says, I have the authority and the power, the authority to command us to do that and the power to make it happen. So we can have confidence that this mission is not only doable, it will be successful. In fact, this passage is a wonderful uh, kind of echo of a powerful vision of Daniel's. I'll, I'll read it to you. Listen to this. This prophecy, this vision is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is what's happening and what's going to happen. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so with his authority and his power, he commissions us to continue the ministry and mission which he started, and knowing who he is and what he can do, we have full confidence that it will be carried to completion. It's not resting on us, it's him working through us, and then he gives us the command in verses 19 and 20. And we see there four verbs, four verbs. Go, make disciples, or disciple, um, baptize, and teach. Now, uh, these verbs are not all equal because one of them is the main verb. It's the actual imperative. It's the command. All the others are participles. They explain how the main imperative is to happen, how it's going to work. The main command, the main imperative, the main verb of the Great Commission is this, to make disciples. Make disciples. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen by going and baptizing and teaching. 
when we think about going, I think what's being highlighted there is the importance of being intentional, being very intentional. We need to be intentional in engaging God's mission to all the nations. And we do that here because we encourage every individual or family to partner with at least one of our global teammates. We prayed for Joelle and Fickle this morning, one of our global teammates. And, and we partner with our global teammates that we have equipped and prepared and launched and sent out. Uh, we do that by praying for them. We do that by giving faithfully towards them. And, and, and as much as possible, we also engage with the going, uh, engaging the nations of the world. We can do that right here in our building through things like ENL, and we can do that through We Care Warsaw, and, and some of us have the chance to maybe go visit global teammates or, or be a part of a short-term missions team. And we're going to make some more of those possible this year because we think everyone needs to be intentional about engaging in the worldwide mission of Jesus Christ to the nations. But we want to remember this. The global mission of the church begins with our neighbors and friends. The global mission of the church begins with our neighbors and friends. So when you think go, being intentional, as you go about your life, as you go about working, making money, providing, as you go about raising a family and children, as you go about being involved in your community, as you go, be intentional about making disciples. That's going, baptizing is the outward expression of the inward commitment to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and to follow him. Teaching, of course, demonstrates that uh, disciples grow and mature and become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's not just about head knowledge. It's not just about what you know. It's about obeying, submitting, following, and becoming transformed more and more into the image of Christ and joining him in his mission. And I love it that this, this command, because it's a high call, wow, make disciples of all nations. But it's sandwiched between the authority and the power of Jesus Christ and the presence of Jesus Christ. That he is with us. He hasn't left, said, okay, you complete what I started. He said, I will be with you. Each of you for your entire life as you work out this mission. And with the church as a whole until I return. I will be with you. Now, this command isn't just for the 11 disciples who are mentioned in this text. A lot, a lot of scholars believe that this event is what Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 was referring to when he talked about a time when the resurrected Christ appeared to more than 500 of his followers, giving them his uh, commission, the command to go and make disciples. And so this is for every believer, not just pastors and missionaries, Every believer in every generation is called to make disciples. We believe that. Every believer in every generation is called to make disciples, and everybody has a part. But it's done in teamwork. It's not cookie cutter. It's not all the same. Not, not everybody does it in the same way. Not everybody participates in the same way. Um, I want to illustrate this. Uh, this is an illustration that David, um, and I just forgot his last name. Platt. Got it. Uh, use it. So I want my volunteers to come up. I need my volunteers. I got volunteers. Volunteers, please come forward to the platform. Stand behind me here. So I got, I got my volunteers, and they are a volunteer fire department. This is my volunteer fire department. 
And we, we are going to create a fire engine, all right, a fire truck. And uh, what I want you to do, Justin, is to drive, okay? You drive. And Ron, you got to navigate so that Justin knows where he's driving, right? You got to get to the fire. So Ron's navigating. And Wally, you're working the ladders, okay? You got to work the ladders on the truck. It's a big, long truck with big, long ladders. And Chuck, Chuck, you know, I saw one of these just uh, over Christmas time, one of these big trucks that actually had someone steering the back set of wheels. You got to steer the back set of wheels, make sure you make it around the corners because it's a long fire truck. So he's, Chuck is steering the back. And Tim, uh, he's going he's gonna to man the hoses because, you know, you got to have hoses to spray the water, right? So here we have our fire engine. Are you, are you doing it? Are you guys doing it? Okay, good. All right, let's just make sure they remember. Okay, I, wa I want you to tell me. Now, what was your job again? I'm driving the truck. Okay, and what is your job? Navigate. Okay, navigating. What is your job, Wally? Manning the ladders. Okay, what's your job, Chuck? Steering the back wheels. Okay, and what's your job, Tim? Manning the hose. Okay, I just want you to know that they are all completely and totally wrong. They have one job. And what is that job? That's right, you only have one job. <laughs> they only have one job. It's to put out fires. That's it. Okay, they have one main verb, one uh, main imperative. Put out fires. How? By driving, by navigating, by manning the ladders. By, by steering the back wheels and by uh, taking care of the hoses and the water and all that kind of thing. So you got to think about now. Let's let's do it. Let's turn it into the church here. So now this is the church. It's not a fire engine anymore. Okay. And Justin here, he is on the discipleship counseling team. All right. He's counseling people. And Ron is leading a life group. He's helping shepherd a small group of people. And Wally is teaching children's uh, church. He's teaching children. And Chuck uh, is working at Biomet Zimmer as an executive, but he's a person who is actively sharing his faith and calling people uh, into fellowship with the church. And Tim, we'll just say he's a pastor, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and okay, now let's see if you can get this right this time, all right? What's your job? Let's try it again. What's, what's your job? Make right, they, they have one job. They have one job is to make disciples, whether it's counseling, whether it is shepherding a small group of people, whether it's teaching the children the word of God, whether it's being a witness where you work, or even if you're a pastor. And yeah, yeah that's a joke, all right? All right, so anyway, you have one job, and that is to make disciples, but it doesn't look the same. People contribute in different ways according to their gifting. Got it? Give them a hand. Say thank you to them for that good job. All right, so, we are, so it's very clear what the mission of the church is, and that is to make disciples. Well, that begs the next question, okay? What's the mission of the church? To make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, and who make disciples. But what is a disciple? That's the next question. What is a disciple? The Greek word for disciple means a learner, a pupil, or an apprentice. Bruce, last week, defined it as a learner in relationship. It carries the image of a pupil, a student, a trainee, an apprentice who's still in school, who is actively still learning. And so the church isn't this group of experts who know it all, but rather 
It's a community of authentic learners who are learning together, who are journeying and, and going towards Jesus and becoming more and more like him together. It's a collection of learners. Eddie Gibbs says it this way. Discipleship is learning, not simply through being given information, but in learning how to use it. Discipleship is an apprenticeship rather than an academic way of learning. It is learning by doing. So I remember when I was in high school, okay, I learned to cook. Okay, so I cook, I do a lot of cooking, I enjoy cooking, and quite frankly, I think I do a pretty good job of it. <laughs> At least I like to eat my food. At any rate, <laughs> uh, so where did I ever learn to cook? Okay, where did I learn to cook? Well, when I was in high school, I worked at the Winona Lake Hotel, and they still had a restaurant. And Brent Sandy's mother, I saw Brent somewhere. Brent's mother, oh, there he is. Brent's mother, Omega, was the cook. And I got, I, first I dishwashed for a while. Eventually I got connected with Omega. I was her, her, her um, assistant, her helper. And I became her apprentice. And, you know, I started with things like toast. <laughs> and worked my way up to mashed potatoes. And then it became ever more complicated. And she taught me things, but I learned more by watching her, by 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 doing stuff and helping her, and, and I learned, and I, and I did it, and eventually I was able to cook on my own, and it was helpful, because there were times in my life when I needed to be able to do that, but I had that skill, because I'd been an apprentice, a learner in relationship with someone that was uh, Omega, Sandy, I was thankful for what she passed on to me when it came to cooking. Um, so what about Jesus? What did, what, he, what did he say a disciple was? Turn with me to just a couple pages over from Matthew 28 to Mark chapter 1. It should just be a couple pages. It's page 1552 in your pew Bible, Mark chapter 1. So we started with Christ's kind of final words there, his commissioning of his disciples in Matthew. Now we're going back to the beginning of Christ's ministry when he starts to call people. What does he say when he calls them to be his disciples? Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Well, we see several things there about discipleship, about being a disciple. And the first one is repentance. He calls them to repent, to turn away from the self-life. Turn away from the self-life. And turn to him then in faith to believe. Repent and believe. And of course, that was such an important question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? Who do you believe that I am? Of course, Peter answered right. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. I think of Thomas who doubted, but then eventually uh, knelt on his knees and said, my Lord and my God, that's who I believe you are. That's faith. To turn, to turn from the self-life controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil, to die to that, to repent of it, to turn in faith to Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, the Lord, the one with all authority and power in the entire universe, the one who will rule over a kingdom forever and ever and ever, we turn to him in faith, believing in him, and then we follow. We follow. 
And following again is that learning process. It's becoming an apprentice of Jesus. It's going into the school of Jesus. It's the school of Jesus. It's learning by doing, and it's learning from him, and it's learning together in community. But a huge part of it is joining him in his mission to call others to repent and to believe and to follow. And so a, a disciple is someone who repents, who believes, and then follows Jesus. And part of that following Jesus is to join him in his mission of calling others to repent and believe and to follow. That's what a disciple is. Now, theoretically speaking, the words convert, Christian, and disciple ought to mean exactly the same thing. But unfortunately, they don't quite, because we throw around, for example, the word Christian rather loosely, at least in our culture, and uh, one of our bloggers, by the way, you really need to check out the Livet blog, uh, some of the entries this week were really challenging to me, convicting to me, really good stuff. One of our bloggers wrote to the rest of us and ma made this observation that in the 2017 Encompass Prayer Guide, it's reported that in the Central African Republic, widespread evangelism, especially in the 1960s and 1970s, yielded massive numbers of converts, but a shortage of disciples. Converts, but not disciples? This blogger went on to muse. <clears throat> I wonder, can you be a true convert and not be a disciple? I think we know how Jesus would answer. What would his answer be? No. No. Jesus definitely was not calling people to be Christians, like we rather loosely use that word in our culture, Jesus was calling people to be disciples. Deny yourself. Love me, Jesus says, more than father and mother, brother and sister, husband or wife. Be willing to give up everything for my sake and my cause. Take up your cross. Join in the mission. Yes, it will be risky. It, you will encounter resistance. It may even cost you your life but it'll be worth it. And as we learned last week, the only thing that's really risky is to do nothing. That's a disciple. One who repents, believes, and follows. And part of that following is calling others to repent, believe, and follow, to make disciples. That's what a disciple is. The mission of the church, to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. What is a disciple? I just defined it for you. And finally, how do you make disciples? Well, believe me, I'm not going to fully answer that question right now. The next several Sundays are going to flesh that out and fill it out. How do you make disciples? Really, what was Jesus thinking? What did he have in his mind when he said, go and make disciples? What was the context of discipleship? It's very tempting for us always to reduce everything to a worship service. As if the worship service preaching... And the music is kind of the answer to everything. You know, that would make life easy, but it's not the way it is, okay? Now, I'm all for preaching. I'm the pastor of proclamation, okay? But, but 
if preaching is the way to make disciples, then listen, you can go online and you can listen to John Piper and, and J.D. Greer and David Platt and on and on and on and on. You can get all kinds of great sermons online that I would even be willing to say are better than mine. Okay, they're better. Okay, no doubt about it. I, I, okay, it's true. You know, you can go online and find exactly the kind of music you like. But I'm going to tell you, we have something here that is absolutely essential discipleship that you cannot find on the internet. That's real, live, breathing people that can have relationship with you. <laughs> this, by the way, I am dispensable. You are not. Because uh, the context and environment for making disciples is relationships of truth and love. The context, the environment for making disciples is relationships of truth and love. And that can only be found in a local body of believers where you can do life on life, relationship with one another. It's what you can do. Now, sermons can be helpful perhaps, but uh, it's, got, it's got to go beyond that. The, that's not, that was not in, in Jesus' mind. He was thinking life on life, discipleship. It's about relationships. Now, Jesus, of course, was a great example of that. He didn't say to his disciples, okay, um, two o'clock on the mountain, sermon, see you there. You know? And then sermon on the mountain's done, have a nice day. No, they heard the sermon on the mount, right? But then they ate supper with him and asked him questions about it and talked with him. And then they went and stayed where he was staying and they walked with him and they saw how he engaged people and he gave them assignments and they did it. And it was life on life. It was, it was learning in relationship, a relationship of love and truth. That's where discipleship took place. I love uh, what Paul writes here to Timothy in 2 Timothy um, Chapter 3, verses 10 to 14, just let me read those for you. You, Paul is writing to Timothy, you however know all about my teaching. So teaching and content and truth are very important. You know all, all of what I've preached and taught, he says, but he adds a lot more to it. It's not just the messages you heard from me. It's not just the sermons you heard from me. You also know about my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me. In Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. And Timothy didn't know about these things just because Paul told him, but because he also experienced some of them with Paul, and he watched and saw how Paul lived in the up and downs and challenges of life, and he, and he saw it. Paul goes on to say in verse 14 to Timothy, but as for you, continuing what you have learned, you got to learn something and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. You know the people, it's relationships, people you trust. That's who you learn from in relationships of love and truth. A man in our congregation told me just a couple weeks ago, you know, and he's been a Christian for a long time, he goes, and heard a lot of sermons. He goes, I can't remember a single sermon I ever heard, but I can tell you the five people impacted and changed my life. That's true. One of the guys who impacted and changed my life was a guy named Paul Johnston. He was a window washer in Long Beach, California. I worked with him one summer. We used to have to get up really early because we'd have to get to some places and wash the windows before the sun came out and really you know, blazed on them and made it too hard. And so he'd pick me up at 4 o'clock in the morning in his junky van filled with all his equipment. He's a one-man window washer guy. 
And, you know, I'm groggy and sleepy, and he'd be driving, and he'd pick out his big King James Bible, and he'd toss it at me, and he'd say, start reading in Isaiah. And we would read, and then we'd pray. That was the, listen, I was in college. That was the first time in my life I had regular devotions in the morning was in the Word. It was because a window washer taught me how to do it. It was learning in a relationship of truth and love. He didn't have a seminary education. He didn't have a degree. He washed windows, but he loved Jesus with all his heart, and he loved God's word. And we started every day in the word. It was a habit. I haven't done perfectly since then, but I could go back to Paul Johnston is where my morning devotions started. He did other crazy stuff. We, we, would, go down to, down to, we would go down to Long Beach downtown, and inevitably someone would come up and beg, beg for money. Here, can you please give me money? And Paul Johnson would say, no, and then he'd look around, oh, there's a jack-in-the-box, I'll buy you a meal, come on, let's go. Didn't matter what we had to do, where we had to be, he would take, he ever, never once did he ever reject anybody this way, he always took the opportunity, I'll take you in, he buys the guy a meal, he sits across from him, and he shares the gospel. I'm like, I've never seen that, you can do that, you're loud, you know? So he was, he was showing God's grace and compassion. He, he's meeting this guy's need, but he knows there's a deeper need than a hamburger. There's a need for the gospel, which nourishes our souls for eternity. And he was a guy who loved Jesus so much that he was willing to share the gospel that way. He taught me a lot of things. We replaced a whole engine on his classic VW van. It was sweet. And none of that stuck with me, though, but um, <laughs> totally lost of that. But he, he didn't have any children, but he had a lovely wife. Oh, he loved her. He adored her. He was so wonderful with his wife, and they had me over, you know, and I saw how they, see, my, my dad died when I was really young, and I watched Paul, how Paul treated his wife. That was the best example I ever got on how a Christian husband should treat a wife. Paul Johnston, window washer. You get my point? Okay, that, that's the context and environment of discipleship is life on life, and the only place to get that is in the local church. It's you guys. We got lots of things we can think about and get distracted by, but let's remember our calling, you and I, not just the pastor, but all of us, are called to make disciples. A disciple is someone who repents, turns to Jesus Christ in faith, and then follows, and part of that following is learning to call other peoples according to their gifting and abilities uh, to repent and to believe and to follow. And it's all done in the context of a relationship of truth and love. And it's, it's what we have to offer. It's what you have to offer. It's what God's called you to. Wally's going to come and lead us in a final song here. As he does that, I want you just to think. There's a challenge for us here. Challenge me. Am I, am I a Christian in name only? Am I doing nothing? Am I just a Christian in name only? Or am I a disciple? Am I a disciple, a learner? Am I a, an apprentice to Jesus in the school of Jesus Christ? A, am I being taught to call others to repent and believe and to follow? Do I recognize that as my primary calling? Am I a, am I a Christian in name only, or am I a disciple? What? Test your heart right now. The other two things to think about as we sing is the two challenges that we're just going to continue through this whole series. Who's my one? Who's the person God's put in your life 
that he, he, he wants you to call, you call them in, in the ways that he's gifted and made you and, uh, to repentance and faith and to follow. And, and here's the other challenge. Not just who's my one that I want to call to faith, but who, who's the one that's maybe behind me in the journey that I can, I can call into relationship with me, a relationship of truth and grace. And you don't have to be a degreed pastor to do this. You can be a window washer. The real requirement is simply to love Jesus and to be pursuing Jesus and in the school of Jesus and, 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 and growing in that. And if you're doing it, you can invite someone to come along with you in that to learn together. It's a relationship of learning truth and love. Who could that be? We're going to keep asking that because we've got to be intentional about it. Remember, go. Be intentional. 